I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. So, why is it taking Congress so long to put more sanctions on Russia? Fingers in Washington, D.C. are pointing at. One senator, Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, blaming him for stopping the president from slowing trade with uh, President Putin's regime. But is that really the case? Uh, Is it really that he is slowing that down? Is he somehow siding with Russia? Or is there more to it? We all need to take a step back, read past the bill title, and ask the questions that will get us to better policy. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Again. Really thrilled to have uh, joining us back on the program again today, Haley Bird Wilt. She's the associate editor with our friends over at the Dispatch, and uh, she had a great piece. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of focus on uh, Russia, Russia trade, Russia trade sanctions, and uh, something that took place uh, last week uh, with uh, Senator Rand Paul and holding something up, which uh, many people say, "What else is new?" Uh, but this is an important one to really look at for uh, a number of reasons. So, uh, first, Haley, if you could just give us kind of a, a snapshot. What is it that uh, went down? What was it that uh, Senator Paul uh, was uh, protesting in this? Sure. So uh, the House added this um, provision to the bill. The bill is to sort of increase tariffs on Russian products. It would end their permanent normal trade relations with the United States. And this is in retaliation for Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But there is another section in the bill that would change and broaden the sanctions authorities that the White House has under the Global Magnitsky Law, which was passed in 2016. So this is how presidents are able to impose human rights sanctions around the world on people who are carrying out atrocities in, in different countries, like like in Xinjiang and in places like Turkey. And it's been used in several different uh, instances. But the White House is saying that this change is needed to be able to have the flexibility to um, impose sanctions on the people that they would like to. So the language... It sort of changes it from a specific standard of human rights abuses to serious human rights abuse, which Rand Paul and his allies are concerned is unclear and could be abused by current or future presidents. So it's sort of a squabble between branches of government more so than a partisan thing. It's not exactly a new power grab by Democrats, which I I made that point in the article. This language came from an executive order by former President Donald Trump. So it's Rand Paul, people like Mike Lee. Libertarians who sort of don't want to give any extra power to current or future presidents without Congress having a clear path of exercising oversight on that. So at this point, they're sort of debating uh, potential language changes to this, but it, it's, it is slowing down this trade portion of the bill. So, so as we look at that, uh, this, this is one of those that I think is so important and, and what you do so well at the dispatch is to just go beyond the headline uh, because I think everybody agrees that uh, we need to be able to sanction, especially those who have uh, human rights abuse and those kinds of things. And obviously, 
all thoughts on Russia right now and everyone's saying, yes, of course we want to do that. So why is, you know, Rand Paul uh, favoring Russia, uh, which is not really the issue. Uh, it's, it's really much more than that in terms of the separation of power component uh, and forcing that part of the conversation. And I think that's one thing that gets lost in this is Rand Paul isn't the only Republican with concerns about this. He's just the, the guy who's most willing to be He's vocal about it. it. He's yeah. <laughs> when it's paired with the Russia bill, it's, it's hard for many people to uh, to stand up against it. But uh, he, he sort of does have a reputation for not really caring whatever the public response will be on something like this. Like I mentioned, uh, Mike Lee is also concerned. He and Marco Rubio introduced a clean reauthorization of Magnitsky as an amendment last week. James Lankford is also involved. There are several different like religious freedom groups that are also behind the scenes sort of reaching out to members of Congress, raising concerns about this, because the fear is it's, it's not so much if President Biden will do something like this, it's if current or future presidents will do something like this. But they fear that if you broaden this human rights uh, abuse language, it could be used against people who, for instance, deny access to abortions in different countries because some sort of liberal groups say oh, abortion is a human right. That is sort of a concern at this point. And what I heard last night from, from some aides involved in this process is Roger Wicker is, is working with the Democratic side of this to define that phrase that Rand Paul is concerned about. So he would define serious human rights abuse and sort of list things that could be um, considered under that. And it, it includes language barring it from being used against people for behavior or speech or anything like that that would otherwise be legal in the United States. So they're sort of divided as of right now on whether that's enough, but potentially could um, see a breakthrough in the next couple of days. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. And it is so important as we look at these kinds of things. Is It's not just looking at the current issue at hand, but making sure that, uh, you know, it's, it's not a Democrat versus Republican thing. It's not a President Biden thing or a former President Trump thing. This is a, a separation of powers thing uh, in terms of current and future uh, presidents in terms of how they might use that or what that vague language might be. Uh, this is one of those that, uh, again, often gets uh, kind of under the rug or, or under the radar that, that we miss uh, those kind of implications in these. It's so easy for people to just hit the headlines on, you know, who's voting against what or, and why. Uh, and I think this is a, uh, a great example of why the nuance matters uh, and why these words matter in, in terms of, of what they're actually debating. Uh, I know there was also a component in there in terms of uh, you mentioned the, the oversight uh, that Congress mm-hmm. would continue to have that. Uh, is there a sunset clause in there? How is that? How is that playing out? Right. So the Magnitsky authorities as of right now are set to expire in December of this year. Um, that's why they're sort of including this in this bill. They're they're making a push to reauthorize it. But the House bill as written would just get rid of the sunset entirely. It, it would make these authorities permanent unless Congress sometime, somehow in the future decides to change their mind. So it, it just repeals that sunset. The one that Mike Lee and Marco Rubio introduced would have done six more years, which is the, the same as the original uh, legislation. So it, it would sunset every six years. I saw that Senator Rubio actually introduced alongside a couple of Democrats a separate measure that would reauthorize it for 12 more years, uh, just sort of to signal the importance of these authorities without giving them permanently to the executive branch. I have not heard what Senator Wicker and uh, Senator Cardin are thinking in terms of the sunset yet. I, I just saw the definition and some of the, the guardrails that they were contemplating and, and sending around to some of these offices that have concerns. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if a sunset does make it back into it, whether it's that six year or 12 year, the sunset that, that Republicans are pushing for. 
Uh, fantastic. And then finally, uh, one of the other things you uh, you touched on in, in your piece in the dispatch uh, is, is really kind of that overarching question of, of who does deserve normal trade status. Obviously, we've, we've got things going on in Russia. We know of the, the abuses going on in China. Uh, what's the debate around that uh, conversation? Congressman Chris Smith, a New Jersey Republican, last week re- introduced a, a bill to end China's uh, normal trade status, which is the same as what this bill that the Senate is debating would do, but for Russia, um, which would basically increase uh, tariffs on a lot of Chinese uh, products. The momentum to do something like that, surprisingly, you would think, uh, given that the Chinese government is carrying out a genocide, is very difficult to build enough momentum for Congress to do something like that, just given the sheer extent of our trade relationship with China. So we might see something, it's sort of as a shifting landscape. This has been a decades long debate on Capitol Hill. Every year they had uh, reauthorized it beginning in the 1980s. After that, it has stayed the same. They've just had permanent normal trade status. But, you know, given the genocide, given the treatment of people in Hong Kong and Tibet, you know, people like Congressman Smith are saying this needs to be more urgent. This needs to be uh, taken care of now. And you've actually seen recent legislation like the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, right? which is strong. It's, it's actually a genuine response to the genocide. It bans imports from Xinjiang. So maybe there's a little more appetite uh, mm-hmm. within Congress, but this might be something that takes a couple of years to actually build up the support for. Fantastic. Uh, as always, uh, helping us get beyond the headlines of a lot of these things into what it really means and what we should really be thinking about. Haley Birdwell, the associate editor at The Dispatch, and uh, it's a great piece uh, there. We'll put that link up today as well. As always, Haley, we appreciate you, uh, your great uh, insight into that, great writing, uh, getting us all thinking just uh, a little bit more at the nuance and what actually matters in the end. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. So, again, the important thing to keep in mind is often we hear these things like uh, Senator so-and-so, Representative so-and-so blocked a bill. Uh, often it's not that they're blocking. Often it's they're just asking for a clarification or they just want an actual vote to happen as opposed to something being done by unanimous consent. So yesterday, President Biden signed the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. That was another case. This time it was Senator Rand Paul forcing Washington to stop. Not let it be done by unanimous consent, ask questions, and get to a better bill. Senator Paul gave inside sources a look behind the scenes of those negotiations. So we're going to stay with the question just a little bit longer today uh, as we look at what does this all mean when something is blocked or held? And is it just politics or does it help us get to better public policy? With Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.